What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we're going to do something else first. Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Chase Winnaker, host of the podcast. We've got Kyle Sams. Deer and elk uh, program biologist. Okay. And so you work with deer and elk here in the state. That's coming up right around the corner. And that's why I reached out to you to try to schedule this podcast. I will be honest with you. I did try to schedule somebody else first. And that would be uh, a migratory bird biologist. Because I was trying to knock things out in order, you know. we got yeah, yeah, dove yeah. season coming in on September 1st. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking I should probably do dove. And then after that, right after that, we got deer archery coming in. Mm -hmm. So you were my second choice, but I'm glad it's you're okay. here. No, because I couldn't get anybody from Migratory Birds. So this is actually a perfect time to talk deer too. Mm -hmm. But before we get going, I'm gonna cover, I'm gonna cross those T's and dot those I's. So dove season does come in next Wednesday, September 1st. 1st. It opens in the, at a certain time of day, 11 right? 11 o'clock, I believe that's right. Yeah, and especially on public fields. Mm -hmm. You need to look at that, that's all on the dove hunting regulations page you need a hunting license a migratory bird stamp and to fill out your hip survey i think the hip survey is the most common mistake people made and make in talking to our game wardens and then of course also make sure your shotgun only holds two shells plus one mm -hmm. so three total capacity that's basically the rundown on dove season i'm going to give right now there's public fields available all over uh the state you can get online and you can search there's an interactive map that shows all those public mm -hmm. fields and you can get directions to them look up specific regs for those fields some of them may be still shot only if they're close to neighborhoods or something like that so. i switch to still shot anyways i don't usually shoot that anymore are you going to be dove hunting next wednesday yes ah, i'm jealous man it's a tradition <laughs> i'm going to have to miss this year I, and i love getting out there with the crew you know yeah. like we a lot of times we take the opening day of dove season is kind of like a team building day. Mm -hmm. that's, our, that's our excuse to uh, get out there and just spend some time together in the field. Usually we go somewhere public, but this year we have our live fall hunting show on August the 31st. And because of how things are right now, we're actually shooting those in house on Facebook live. We go Facebook live on Tuesday nights. And then because of our procedures back here, we have to have our weekly show out on Thursday morning at the absolute, absolute latest. So you're swamped. So I'm going to be sitting <laughs> right here in one of these edit bays all day Wednesday. I mean, yeah. and it's a, it's a pretty long day. So I doubt I'm going to get the opportunity to go dove hunting opening day. I'll just have to make up for it with a lot more hunting. Yeah, right I don't typically do a ton of dove hunting. Uh, that I, I don't usually miss the first unless it's the opener of deer. And if it is the opener of deer, they usually, I mean, I'll try to get in an early dove and then get back in the tree stand pretty quickly. but. Well, the uh, thing about dove season is it's, you know, I know fall squirrel's in. It opened up on the 21st, so it's in. But for some reason, dove season just feels like the start. Yeah. You know, it's like that yeah. first day of dove season, you get out there and you start hearing the shots go off and people yelling, you know, low bird and yelling, calling out birds. It just feels like fall hunting is finally here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it a lot. I'm looking forward to it. But, it's uh, hard to be dove poppers, too. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, I, I, would, I would like to get some more of those. Um, so, but uh, like I said, I am excited. I am going to be able to hunt opening day of deer season, <clears throat> wind allowing, you know, because that's the most important thing. I'm not going to get in there and booger up my whole setup day one if I got a bad wind. But I do have a couple of decent bucks that I would shoot too, coming into camera daily, right? Mm -hmm. But I have noticed their patterns change a little bit, and I actually text you about this this morning. Yeah, I mean they had been consistent seven thirty or eight o'clock at night just every single time. And then I saw them kind of move to a little bit later than that. And then it was kind of middle of the night and then two or three o'clock in the morning. And now it's it's in the morning. They're showing up at seven o'clock in the morning. And one buck out there has actually already shed his velvet. 
So, you know, that's a little disappointing. But so this time of year, in that transition between deer being in velvet and then it coming off, I mean, things change with deer behavior, right? Oh, yeah, big so, time. So for me and for other people who are looking forward to getting out there and hunting early archery season, you know, kind of a, a curious question is what what causes that and what's the behavior change? Like what, what can somebody expect to happen? If they have bucks coming in consistently now and something changes, you know, what is that change probably going to be? Yeah, so uh, right now, August, September, is when the biggest change really occurs for deer. Um, and the reason why you're seeing movement changes is, uh, plain and simple, it's, it's uh, testosterone. This is when testosterone kicks in, and probably why you saw, you mentioned the, the velvet, uh, velvetless buck, mm -hmm. uh, or the, shed, uh, the velvetless buck there. I mean, that's, that's a key indicator right there that, that testosterone is starting to go through the roof. Through the, so it's just going up and up, and yep. that's what's causing them to... Oh, I all of a sudden hate trees. Yeah, I mean they. Well, <laughs> I mean that 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 kick into that testosterone. It's there at low levels all. I mean earlier in the year, and uh, right now it's kicking in. And basically, what's happening is, I mean, it messes with their with their sleep schedule, with their date. I mean, it messes with everything. Okay. Um, they change up. I mean, that's exactly why. I mean, there could be other outside sources. Maybe there's somebody walking through your property or, yeah. or boogering up some stuff. I haven't got that on camera yet. Yeah, which is probably not the case, but mm -hmm. in some cases it could be. But most, I mean, without. I mean, with, with certainty, I can say that, that testosterone is, is causing some issues there. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, like, for for example, the deer that I would prefer out there, like my number one, when I first got him on camera, I was like, man, he's got an ugly coat. And he had, like, you know, the top of his back just looked a different color. And then day by day, I could literally watch that color change take place. And all the red hair, all that summer hair was disappearing and being replaced with that. It looked like shorter gray hair. It's yeah, a, it's a it's a finer, finer coat. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's thicker. So it's probably, it just looks smoother. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely smoother. It's just really dense. It's a lot more yeah. dense. Um, it's that grayish color that you see I mean, in, in the winter. It's their winter coat. In the spring, uh, the, their card, I guess, more like guard hairs or it's a thinner. Um, it's ugly in it's my ugly. opinion. I don't yeah. like the red. I don't, I don't like, like the red. Either. I don't like it. I so, like the winter coat. So he started going gray on me and I'm going to pull up a picture here while I'm showing, while I'm saying that just so I can show you. But so is that that change in testosterone also that would trigger um, something like that? That as far, as far as the winter coat, I don't I don't really think that, that has. Yeah, I think that's just seasonal changes. That's before. So that's that's one picture there where it's mm -hmm. just the top of his back. There you yep. can see it coming down a little bit further, mm -hmm. and uh, and by the time it's said and done, he's pretty much a solid gray deer. Yeah. That's not really testosterone related because all deer do that. Uh -huh. um, for bucks in general, um, that testosterone starts. That boost starts in August, September for okay. us. Yeah. Um, for more southern states, it might be a little later. For more northern states, it might be a little sooner. Time of time of length of day is something you said yes, was a big. Yes, photo factor. period is is the number one cause. So basically, all year long, and it, and it has to do with so many different mechanisms: the brain, mm -hmm. different glands um, that will produce testosterone and other another um, uh, hormones, melatonin. Uh, it causes a whole slew of things to change in the deer. Mm -hmm. The, not just the, for the shed. The, so it's the probably velvet. a gland like the pituitary gland. Pituitary gland, the pineal gland. Um, uh, there's a couple other ones there that that uh, that the, the hypothalamus. I mean, there's several different glands mm -hmm. that, that that contribute to that, mm -hmm. and it's all related to testosterone. I mean, the, basically the cycle is when it comes to deer. I mean, <clears throat> you'll start right now. Um, so the testosterone starts to go through the roof, mm -hmm. and it will continue that 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 increase until the rut mm -hmm. and there's several factors that can prolong it and there are several factors that can uh, make it uh, be cut short so mm -hmm. uh, so like I said it goes all the way through rut and shortly after rut 
uh, you'll see a pretty sharp decline over the next couple months, mm -hmm. and that's usually when you see deer losing their antlers mm -hmm. um, in January, February, that's and March. It bottoms out. It bottoms out. And then um, right when they lose those antlers, and shortly after that, you'll see a spike, a quick spike in that testosterone, which is basically to initiate the new antler growth. Mm -hmm. And then once that starts, it'll, it'll bottom back out and stay low all the way until August again. But the factors that really affect testosterone during, from this point, really more so in the rut is age. Mm -hmm. So uh, age plays a significant role and the more dominant a buck is. So the more dominant a buck is, the more testosterone he's gonna um, produce and he's gonna stay dominant longer. Whereas, whereas uh, a young male, uh, he will lose, because he's not very dominant, uh, he will, and he doesn't have that ability to produce a lot of testosterone. Um, he will uh, he will lose that pretty quick. Okay. As, in the same so time, so a dominant buck's going to be more likely to rut for a longer period of time. Yes, in a case that there is an estrus doe. Okay. So if estr if, a, if there's doe and estrus, then that can prolong that um, testosterone increase. But once and that sometimes that might be why you see uh, well it is why you see bucks running through December. Uh huh. So. Um, so yeah. one of the things, so as far as what that means for the next month, September, because it sounds like September is when maybe the most change takes place. Um, as far as the testosterone levels start kicking up, that's or August and September is what you were saying. Well, uh, well, August, it's, it's when it's the biggest change because it's not necessarily the biggest change, I guess, takes place. What I'm saying is that, so it's low July, it starts in July, uh -huh. uh, usually, but August and September is when it starts to ramp up. But it's low usually in July, but then August comes and it starts to increase and yep. increase rapidly. And it stays on that course all the way through the inner rut. Um, and a lot of the big change will be in October. That's why you see bucks disappear yep. or change. Well, that's the thing that I kind of see. <clears throat> like, so this time of year right now, I had these nice consistent bachelor groups coming mm -hmm. in, right? And right now, the bachelor group might have been three bucks. Mm -hmm. And now it's two. And that one's coming in by himself. Or he's completely disappeared. But also got this other buck that wasn't there before that just showed up by himself. So I'm assuming that as that testosterone ramps up, those bucks just don't like being around each other yeah. quite as much. Yeah. And so they kind of break off or separate off. And you know maybe that's why your deer sometimes go MIA right before season starts. It could just be that natural swing of things, right? Right, and, and the bachelor root biology is really cool. I mean, that testosterone is low throughout the year. They'll hang out with each other. And it's kind of a, it's advantageous to them to be in a bachelor group because they can uh, basically sort things out mm -hmm. uh, through a hierarchy pretty quick mm -hmm. and then that way as they get into rut and when they start to break up because of the testosterone they can't stand each other anymore yeah then the hierarchy is already set so they don't really have to fight each other okay so they they take care of things like in the practice ring yeah when when the stakes aren't quite as high yeah and then that way when it comes time to actually fight they kind of know where they the stand. boss is and then you get other uh that's, that's when you you know outside bachelor groups then you'll see in october you'll see folk or uh folks but you'll see um, some bucks that start to wandering around, start to move around, change up some things, and that's when they come in contact with each other. Yeah, and that's also my favorite time to hunt them. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking forward to hunting them in September of this year because, like I said, I have them patterned. I have them pretty consistent right now. I like hunting September. Yeah, oh, I, I personally think that the first part of September, if you are prepared, you're on it, that is your best opportunity to kill a, a, a buck that you know, a yeah. targeted buck. Absolutely. And, and during the entire season. Mm -hmm. And then after that first week or so of September, you know, it might vary depending on where you're at. After that first little window in September, September becomes the hardest month. Yeah, it's, to, it's, it's, it starts getting pretty tough. 
I mean, the end of October is pretty tough too because they don't, they'll move a lot in yeah. October, especially that last week or two of October. The October lull or whatever. Yeah. They, they, they'll, I mean, research shows, I mean, if you watch some, some recent research, I mean, <clears throat> you'll see them spend a ton of time in a certain area during part of the year, then they'll take an excursion and spend the rut in another part of the area, and you'll see them take uh, these little small excursions. Uh -huh. And <clears throat> basically what they do is they, they'll go to a place they've never been before uh -huh. for a day, 12 hours, and that's, that explains a lot of uh, uh, when people get, oh, I've never seen this butt before ever, and yeah, it pops that, up and they shoot it. That you happens to me. Every, I don't shoot it every year, but every year, you can pretty much count on it, a buck is going to show up, and it's going to be a good buck. Mm -hmm. And we, I just happened to hunt on a pretty good-sized creek, and I really think he's just coming up the creek, mm -hmm. coming down the creek from a patch of woods maybe a mile, maybe two miles away. You know, so I definitely see that cruiser buck, and then you'll see him that one time. You might see him for two or three days sometimes. Yeah, and then you might not ever see him again. Never see him again. Yeah, you can pretty much. He goes on. back to where he was. Yeah, so that makes sense, and that's the opportunity for somebody else to shoot your big buck mm -hmm. is when he does that. But so if we're if we're just setting up September deer hunting in September here, I personally am afraid of mornings in September because when you have those deer pattern and you, you have them figured out, the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is booger it all up, mm -hmm. send them somewhere different. And it's so hard to get in in the mornings without taking that big risk of spooking deer. Mm -hmm. You know, like one thing I've been using this year, for two years now, is the <laughs> cell camera, right? <clears throat> and it has, uh, it, you know, stores all the pictures on it and it kind of calculates that data. Mm -hmm. And it'll break down photos by hour of the day and it gives you a nice bar graph so you can kind of see when your activity levels are. Mm. And I can so easily see that at two and three and four in the afternoon, I'm getting almost no pictures. Mm. There's no deer in there. Well, and that means I can get in there, you know what I mean, without bumping deer. And then I see my pictures start to spike at seven o'clock, eight o'clock. In the morning, it's a lot more consistent. There's pictures at two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, and it's just so much harder to get in there because those deer are much more likely to be there. Yeah, it's definitely a chess match for certain. And I mean, I like hunting in the mornings. I, I love it because it's cool. Cool. Yeah. And I think that's probably why the deer more consistently move. And I mean, I got to think right now, it's 91 degrees today, right? Yeah, they're not doing a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't be if I had a fur no. coat. Yeah, especially they're, they're putting on the winter coat. And man, I can imagine it's pretty hot. They're going to be near um, water sources, which moves right into disease issues with a hemorrhagic disease. You know, that's something I wanted to ask you about. So this year, I didn't hear a lot about HD. Mm -hmm. um, we did have a drought there the last of probably two and a half, three weeks. And I started to see the water levels. I, I was out at Elkhorn. It was flowing like 50-something CFS for a while there. And if Elkhorn's flowing 50-something CFS, that means all those feeder creeks are dry or trickled. Mm -hmm. And some, some of my buddies started texting me about, this is going to lead to HD, this is going to lead to HD. I never heard a whole lot about, a lot about it, but I wanted to ask you about kind of the state of disease in the state of Kentucky with our deer herd. And HD and CWD are the two big ones. Yeah. And so just, you know, briefly touch, I think some people still get those two confused. Yeah, they definitely do. Uh, hemorrhagic disease um, is uh, something that um, moves quicker in terms of death. So It's like 72 hours or something. Yeah, it can be 48 to 72 hours, and that's if it, they get the um, acute uh, version of, of hemorrhagic disease. So basically, uh, every deer is a little bit different, and they, just like us, I mean, if I get the flu, I might exhibit it differently than you would. Mm -hmm. um, and deer do the same kind of thing. So they get um, HD. Many deer will come, will overcome it. Some of them that get that acute version, they die within 48 to 72 hours. Mm -hmm. And basically they look healthy except for they're standing in water when they're dead. Yeah. Um, then you get some that, that get chronic, that it might take two, three weeks for them to die. But some of them 
overcome that and they and survive it and they pass those antibodies on to their um, to their offspring. Well, so the thing that so between HD and CWD, I think a lot a lot of people are way more familiar with HD because we've had it and we've had it bad before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've learned a lot about CWD working here at the department, like tuning in, listening to yourself and and everybody in the deer and elk program and our veterinarians and trying to learn about CWD and the two compared to each other are apples and oranges. Yeah, and CWD absolutely. is terrifying. Yes, <laughs> it's CWD terrifying. is well, chronic wasting disease is. Uh, much worse than HD. We'll yes, HD can you can you can lose a lot of deer H, with from HD pretty quickly, mm -hmm. but they'll bounce back, and there is no cure for it. But they, it's always been um, part of the the deer population. So you move go south in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, their their deer are exposed to HD all the time, but you never really see them dying from it because they get exposed to it uh, every single year. Thus. All they have antibodies. They're basically somewhat immune to it. Mm -hmm. um, where we're kind of on the bubble of that really hot, uh, uh, that hotter, uh, more I guess more moist environment uh, down there, we're a little bit different. And so when we get outbreaks, they could be significant. Like we have in 2017 in, in East Kentucky. Yeah. Um, but we get deer that die from it every single year. Uh, like last year, we had about 60 deer I think that died mm -hmm. statewide as the serial type two which is the, 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 the form that's most common in Kentucky, mm -hmm. but it's not something that's terribly worrisome because deer bounce back from it. CWD, however, chronic wasting disease, there is no cure for it, but it's slow killer. And Talk about how much different they are, just the way the deer get the diseases. So HD comes from a, a bug. It's basically, it's a noceum. It's a little bitty thing. We all have oh, a I hate noceums. Yeah, they bite you and they're aggravating oh. and um, that's the little midge. And, and when they call them noceums, they got their names because they're so small. Yeah. You literally can't see them, so they called them noceum. Yeah. So that's how they got their name. But they, you know when they bite you. Yeah, they, it, it, you can feel the little prick, and um, uh, and that's what transmits the disease to the deer. So they, that moves it back and forth from um, animal to animal, and it can go from cattle to deer, and, and they all refer to hemorrhagic diseases. I mean, hunters usually refer to it as blue tongue. Mm -hmm. And they're the same family. They're a little bit different, but they, they're similar. Um, uh, deer reservoirs, deer carriers, deer die from it. Um, cattle can die from it. I think there was a few cows that died in Ohio from it, but I think they had some other issues going on too But a couple years back. But but that's the, the main difference there. I mean, if it's HD and how, they, how deer get HD. See, a chronic wasting disease is it's much more complicated, um, and to be quick about it, uh, it's it can be passed from deer to deer. It can be passed it's directly from deer to deer, from nose to nose contact. Um, it can be passed indirectly. So if um, say if if we got so when you when you give deer corn, huh. every hunter's seen this. If you've watched deer close enough, they walk up to the corn and they'll start to salivate, mm -hmm. drooling all over the corn. They'll eat some, pick around, go off. When next year comes in, eats that corn. So there's deer saliva on that corn that if that deer has chronic wasting disease, then there's potential that that deer come up eating that corn, eating that saliva is gonna get chronic wasting disease. Yeah. So several are other different and ways. The ground can and, and, and environment can hold it. And there's no, to, to destroy the prion, which is the causative agent of um, CWD, um, it takes some significantly high heat. I've heard that no wildfire. No and, wildfire can do it. That's right. Yeah, the, the, there's never been a wildfire hot Our enough. Our incinerator out here doesn't get hot enough to do it. I was curious about that. And so the only way to do it is to use uh, to denature it, um, or s extremely high heat. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then there's a lot of uh, things that change with, with, with environmental impacts or environmental conditions. So um, that kind of, that will hold that prion in place and doesn't destroy it. It's not destroyed, so plants can uptake it into their leaves. Deer can come out and eat it. Man, that's crazy. It's, it's, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there with it. Now, the thing that hunters don't really understand, and it's hard to comprehend this, mm -hmm. is that because it doesn't show you death quickly like HD does. Yeah, it's chronic wasting. It's chronic, and it takes a long time. I mean, deer, um, deer can be infected with chronic wasting disease somewhere between 18 and 24 months before they ever show a sign. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of deer that are tested that have chronic wasting disease in other states are extremely healthy looking. So this buck that you're out there after, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have a positive in Kentucky yet. It will be here at some point in the future, but you're that, any deer you, you harvest in Kentucky that looks absolutely healthy potentially could have chronic wasting disease, and you would not know it until you got it tested. So the way I understand it, and I'm, I might be wrong about this, so correct me if I am, the way I understand CWD is that it's basically a mutated protein that it, that is in the central nervous system, or mm -hmm. that's where it, and it's basically called a prion, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, so you know your, your cells are always replicating, mm -hmm. right? And that's how, like, it, I think we go through as humans, all of our cells in our body every seven years, seven years yeah. so every seven years like you don't have any single cell in your body that was there seven years before or something like that but this disease basically causes those cells not to replicate or not to replicate <laughs> health in a healthy manner well what to do so so basically what it is proteins are in prions i mean normal proteins and normal prions are used for messaging uh -huh. in, in in the body and in this specific situation these prions mutate and what they do is when they come in, these mutated prions come in contact with other proteins, it causes them, to, or other prions, it causes them to misfold. So it's a chain reaction. So it's, it's kind of, excuse me, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like a domino effect. So if you get that prion in, in, that, in that deer's body and it ends up in the brain, it hits those proteins and it causes them to misfold and it just starts a chain reaction. It might take 18 to 24 months, but basically what's happening is normally, that deer's body can take those proteins and those normal prions and break them down when it's done using them as messaging. messaging. But when this, this, this abnormal uh, prion, um, it doesn't know how to break it down. So it just sets there and they accumulate over, over that 18 to 24 so month basically period. basically just a buildup. It's a buildup and it basically causes these little bitty microscopic holes all in the brain. Yeah. And so when that happens, it's almost like that's your wasting disease. Yes. Your, your deer start to look unhealthy. They start to get that, you know, kind of ridiculous body language or just complete lack of fear of humans mm -hmm. or vehicles. And that's why you see them walking in circles in the road. Walking in circles, stand there with their, with their legs wide, uh, spread wide, droopy ears, salivating. But the, it's like a lock, la lack or loss of consciousness. Yeah, almost. pretty much. Yeah, so that, that's terrifying. And that one is 100% fatal. 100% fatal. HD can be survived. They can, they can survive that. And the, and the thing that the CWD is what's really important. I don't want to harp on CWD. I know people want to hear us talk about the hunting, but yeah. uh, what's super important to know about CWD is long-term. CWD is more going to affect deer hunting long-term, more so than any other disease. You look at Wisconsin and those four counties where um, CWD is super prevalent. Um, they are seeing a decline in older age class animals. Uh -huh. And that's what is happening. So you think about, and it's super prevalent there. Uh -huh. So if you get to other places where the, the CWD or the chronic wasting disease is not high prevalence, where they got a 20% or whatever it is, a really high prevalence rate up there, um, 
basically deer that are born with CWD, uh -huh. if it takes 18 to 24 months for them to show symptoms and then die shortly after, mm -hmm. then you're looking at a two and a half year old buck. Yeah. So he might start to show those symptoms when he's getting close to three and a half. So when you think you're going to, where a lot of hunters want to shoot that big buck, yeah. um, he's dead on his own. He's going to be dead. So getting into the four and a half, five and a half, where this buck you might be hunting right now might be a five and a half year old buck. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting that's, that's where hunters are going to see the change long term if it's high prevalence. But something, uh, so as terrifying as CWD is, something that's important to remember is that we do not have it here yet, mm -hmm. and, that we know of, mm -hmm. and that Kentucky is doing a lot of testing for it. Mm -hmm. and, and there's some new programs too, right? Mm -hmm. So this year, just because I haven't really been brought into the loop on these 100% yet, what are some of the programs we're doing this year to help monitor for CWD? So the big one, which is our normal surveillance, we test for 3,000 deer. We'll do that again this year. Um, this coming year for 3,000 deer statewide, most of that's hunter harvested animals mm -hmm. and we'll basically send those off to a lab test them for chronic waste do the disease. hunters need to do anything if they want their deer to be um, part of that study yes which perfect segue into our freezer program so yes. we have several freezer programs around the state i think we've got 12 statewide um, we have a link to that on our cwd page so it's ky or fw.ky.gov forward slash cwd you could probably just get on the if you forget that you can probably just google search or not google but get on the website fw.ky.gov and search cwd you can't and it takes you right there you're up yeah. and so you go to that page and there's a there'll be a map and there'll be a link of or a a list of those those places throughout the state we've got 12 we've got one right here at headquarters so if a hunter wants to have his deer tested all he's got to do is bring his deer his deer head antlers removed um uh, if they're not getting mounted, if they're getting it mounted, they can still get that. And that can be a doe too. It can be a doe. Yeah. yeah so you, anything, you would prefer bucks though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've heard that before that a buck is worth more in this study than a doe is because a buck comes in contact yeah. with with more deer yeah. than a doe does. That's so that, exactly the premise for it. So he's going to be more likely if there is an affected deer in the area. If it is in the area, a buck is going to be more likely to be a carrier because he's roaming around, coming in contact exactly. with other bucks, yeah. other does. So, but so you would prefer some some bucks be submitted. Mm -hmm. And obviously, some people are thinking, "Well, I want to get my buck mounted." Well, so you can get it from the, your taxidermist. Um, a lot of times, we work with taxidermists and processors to get those heads. But if you specifically want to take it, then we go to one of our freezers and drop it off. There's a little card you fill out. Um, it's a pretty painless process, and you can once you once you submit it through the freezer process, you can. There's a little card that you get when you when you once you submit that, it'll have a four-digit number on there, and you can go to that same website and you go to the CWD lookup. Mm -hmm. And it'll take, uh, it might take a, a, some time. Yeah. I think uh, it says the amount of time on the weeks. website. Okay. 10 yeah. weeks. And, and, and then you can look and see if that, if your deer is positive or if it's not detected. And um, that'll give you the, the confirmation or, I mean, and so far every single sample has come back negative, yeah. but at some point, you hate to say it, but at some point there's going to be one that comes back positive because, yeah. so where is CWD at around us right now? It's so, in what, um, seven it's, states I it's think? in every state that surrounds us except for indiana that they know of. um that, that they know of and they're looking for it um and it's right there on, in the illinois border i mean it's it's, it's close so i wouldn't be surprised if they go positive it's not far from us the closest it is to us will be in tennessee and it's about 42 miles yeah, i think it's in west virginia fairly close to but the thing that so that when i think about why does kentucky not have it that we know of yet and now all these other states do kentucky is fairly well insulated naturally when you have the a river along the entire eastern border a river along the entire northern border and western border it's really just the southern border where deer probably frequently travel back and forth yeah. on their own but because of all those other borders being you know big rivers 
it's really people that are going to be the main Absolutely. cause of CWD getting here unless it comes across the southern border on its own, right? Yeah, which, I mean, deer swim the rivers. We know that, but it's, it's, it is a barrier. But people bring in their animals back with, so in, in, in several states in the south, in the northeast, and in, in the Midwest, you cannot bring um, brain or spinal uh, material, spinal column material back with you. So you either have to bring it completely quartered, um, and, 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 and then uh, if you bring uh, any... Uh, a European melts or a European melts back has to be uh, finished. Has to be completely finished, or the the has to be cleaned of any brain material or the meninges, the little brain film that attaches has to be cleaned. Teeth have to be cleaned. Um, so anything that has any brain or spinal column cannot come back. Yeah, and that's so cleaned. that would be the issue is if somebody went to just for example Tennessee, <laughs> shot a buck. They're all oh, this this deer is perfectly healthy. You know, it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with it. It acted like a normal deer, mm -hmm. and they think, well, you know, it's probably okay for me to take this one back to Kentucky, it was healthy. And they, you know, cut the head off and bring the head back and then they, you know, take it to the taxidermist and the taxidermist skull caps it out and takes that, that head that still has brain matter in it and throws it out in the woods out back. But that's yeah. CWD on the landscape. It's on the landscape. And then that's gonna affect all the deer and then we're gonna have a problem with it for years to come. Mm -hmm. So basically what the department's number one message for CWD you would say is probably don't transport those carcasses across state lines with brain absolutely. matter. Absolutely, absolutely that, and uh, definitely don't bring that stuff about those that material across state lines. Uh, really think about that in the future of deer. But I would want to say that that we don't want CWD, but the, and I want, want want to confuse that with we we definitely do not want it. But we know it's going to be here at some point. Mm -hmm. We want to find it as early as possible. Yeah. We do not want to be like I'm not trying to throw Tennessee under the bus. We do not like, want to be like Tennessee. Um, where they have a huge number of, of CWD positive deer in the southern southwest portion of the state um, and, and a high prevalence rate. We want to find it early. That way we can keep that deer population because once it's here, it's here. And you cannot control something. I want to say that we want to be like New York. They found five, five deer like in 2005 that were positive and they were super lucky found it early. Mm -hmm. They've not had a positive since. Okay. And they do a lot more testing than we do. And that's what we want to be. We want to find it early so we can keep it at a low enough level. They won't affect the deer herd. You know, and I've seen some of this stuff behind the scenes. And of course, when when it when it happens, I mean, it's going to be you know all these protocols. We have so many things set in place, sitting there ready to press the button whenever this does happen. Mm -hmm. Like things are going to change. Things are going to happen. We have a plan in place. I'm not going to go into that right now. But basically, we're monitoring. We're looking for it. And the sportsmen and women, the hunters, need to help us monitor for mm -hmm. it if they care about the deer herd. And that's their opportunity is with these freezer drop-off locations. And then they also need to be responsible and not move the deer carcasses across Absolutely. state lines because that's how it's gonna get here. Yeah. So it's really, you know, we're depending on each other. Mm -hmm. The sportsmen are depending on us when it does get here or to help keep it from getting here. And we're depending on them to, you know, play their part and to help us monitor. It's really a team effort between the department and the sportsmen and women. Yeah, without the hunters, I mean, <clears throat> they're, our, they're, they're the, our best management tool, whether it's to increase a population, to decrease a population. Um, and also when it comes to diseases, help us manage for that. Without, without them, um, we can't really do a lot. And that's, they're, they're without a doubt our number one tool and having us and them on the same page when it comes to that front is huge. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm hoping that we don't get it for many, 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 many years. But, um, you know, it is interesting to learn about. And some of the, like I sat in on a few um, of the Zoom calls this, this year. I didn't say anything. I was just silently sitting in the background and watching when the experts from Tennessee and from these other states, along with our veterinarian and you guys and the deer and elk crew, 
um, we're speaking about it. I learned a lot about CWD and it, I mean, it is fascinating and it is 100% something that we do not want. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for doing my part. If I go to Colorado, for example, if I'm lucky enough to go to Colorado and harvest an elk or something like that, you know, yeah. I'll be following those guidelines, bringing that elk back as Absolutely. well. Yeah. Um, An ounce of prevention goes a long way, I would <clears> say. Yeah, that's true. Rather, <laughs> rather handle it up front. So let's go back to hunting a little bit. Uh, oh, so real quick though, HD. Um, did we get any significant HD outbreaks? Not there? yet, um, and we—I think we've gotten a few, but it's—it's on—it's on, on point to be or on par to be similar to last year. Okay, and um, so that HD, which is different than CWD, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just, HD. When a deer gets it, they can survive, and mm -hmm. if a deer survives, they can pass that immunity down. Right. So we might still be riding the coattails of our last major outbreak yeah, so a little bit. It can be every. Five to seven years is is it seems to be what what happens and and like so in 2007 we had a significant one here in Kentucky mm -hmm. and then again in 2012 yeah um, we haven't had a giant one um, since then except for in 2017 yeah that was, was five years later that was fairly isolated Kentucky. Yeah. yeah that was southeast Kentucky along the Appalachian Mountains and it was I don't not sure we're really not sure how that happened but um, it was basically from Georgia, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland. I mean, all those all those states exhibited um, uh, a significant HD outbreak in 2017 along the, the western portion of the Appalachian Mountains. That that outbreak, if I remember <laughs> right, was significant enough to ha cause us to change our rules and regs a little Absolutely. bit. That's when we changed our zoning. Um, and changed, uh, you know, basically to where you got 40 or statewide, but mm -hmm. X number could be in this zone, X number could be in, and we changed up the buck and doe harvest for, uh, or really just the doe harvest. For, it was a doe for, harvest, really, and, and that's our, I mean, we were going to change, so in, in 2017, we were going to change for 2018, we were going to move some of the, several of the zone four counties into a zone three. Um, we were going to step back zone three a little bit, because there was a big transition there, we were going to step it back a little bit, and we were going to increase zone four just a little bit to make those things a little closer those zones a little closer in, in transition hd hit and that yeah. changed our mind we still changed zone three to where you can only kill one uh, doe with a rifle that's mm -hmm. the change mm -hmm. um and you still kill a buck with a rifle in zone four you can only in response to hd you can only kill one buck and one doe that's it you cannot kill a doe with a rifle but you can kill a doe the last three of muzzleloader, late muzzleloader. And the reason for that, it's basically the way I look at it, an aggressive management tool to increase the population. Mm -hmm. Just like here in zone one where we're sitting right now, we have too many deer. Yeah. So it's unlimited does. As many as you want to buy yeah. permits for, that's because does, the way I understand it, are just so much more important to a population. Absolutely. And we, I think right. we've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, one buck can breed 10 does. Yeah. One doe, 10 bucks, you still got one doe. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's allowing more does to be on the landscape out east is going to increase the population quickly. And taking does from zone one is going to hopefully decrease. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it has been yet. It's really but, tough. Well, the reason it's tough is hunter participation. Yeah. You know, you can, you can make it to where in zone one you get 100 does on your, on your tags, right? And you're probably going to see that average number of deer killed per hunter 1. go 3. up. 1.3. It's 1.3 right now. So it, we actually got a bump the past two years, and the first time that that's ever happened, it went from 1.3, which is what it's been for the past 15 to 20 years, to 1.4 two years in a row. But now it's back down. This past year was 1.3. So, uh, so the average nothing, cha nothing, nothing significant. So is that the average person who buys deer tags kills 1.3? 77 percent of our hunters kill one deer. 
and, and and because seventy percent of of our hunters use rifle, that's significant. Yeah, it basically tells me that it's really hard to get hunters in Kentucky to kill more than one deer. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I wonder why that is. I, I mean, Kentucky's. A, I mean, we're we're. I mean, we're top five Boone and Crockett every year. Mm -hmm. We know that one buck. Uh, limit helps us get deer into that older age class, and we are a destination state. People want to come hunt deer here. So you think okay? I think the buck, the the, the buck thing, and in time, and and I think as and well, a lot of our our boomers are moving out, mm -hmm. and but even with that, in today's time, I think that people just don't have the time to devote to it like they did in the past, where they might come out and hunt a weekend or two weekends, kill that buck, and then they're done. Yeah. Well, they have the time. They just don't use it. Exactly. Uh, using it for something else. But, um, I mean, you'd think with programs like Hunters for the Hungry <laughs> and the fact that you get four tags, uh, you know, with your regular license, that people would be more willing just to take that doe. Maybe people don't understand that in these overpopulated, overcrowded areas, taking these deer off the landscape is actually a good thing for the future of your deer. Yeah, which, which I'm glad you said that because it, I just popped in my head thinking about hormones. And we were just talking about hormones at the beginning of the show. That will play effect or play into if, you, if you're trying to grow big bucks. So uh -huh. if you think about it, if you've got a ton of does on the landscape mm -hmm. and that buck is only your big buck uh -huh. or bucks in general are only able to breed with so many does. And that's why there, some does will have, come in estrus in November mm -hmm. and they'll come again in December. Mm -hmm. And then they might even come in in January. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens is, so you've got a, a, a buck that's out there chasing a specific doe he, he mates with her. He tends to her to, to, to ensure that no other bucks are going to mate with her to ensure that it's only his offspring that are there. Right. Well, he starts moving on to another, another doe. Right. Well, he does that. And, and then, it, so the longer he is in rut, mm -hmm. the longer he's going to go um, without eating a lot. So yeah. he uses, they can lose, lose up to 25% of their body weight. Mm. And then longer he's going to be um, from losing that testosterone. Uh -huh. So what I'm saying is, so he's going to go through a whole heck of a lot and be a lot more stressed through winter months mm -hmm. and be kind of um, at a disadvantage when spring comes uh -huh. than he would be if he were to, if there was less does on your property. And this is why it's important to kill those in September or early on. So that he's not in rut longer. So basically he's not stressed longer. And that way he has a, I guess, a, a better start to the following year. Okay. It's kind of like the whole premise of of, of fawns, depending on when they're born, when they're born, if they're born early or late, or if their mother is extremely healthy, yeah, they get a significant advantage in getting that bigger rack. So basically, look Earlier. at it, look at it this way: you're the you're the GM of a professional basketball team, right? And you have a team you think is built to win the NBA playoffs, right? And that the NBA playoffs, that's going to be when that deer is five and a half years old, mm -hmm. six and a half years old. So you think you have that built up. You can either run your players as hard as you possibly can during the regular season, which is what basically having a lot of does on the landscape does. It mm -hmm. runs those bucks hard. And then by the time they are four and a half, five and a half years old, when the playoffs are starting, you know, they might be run down yeah. and then just not be as healthy as they could it's a, be. It's a perfect analogy. <laughs> so it's basically like giving your not having all those those does on the landscape is like having a easier regular season mm -hmm. for your team that you're managing. And then when you get to the playoffs, you're more healthy and more well-rested. Exactly. He, he, I mean, your big buck who might, your three and a half year old buck or four and a half year old buck because you want to move into the older age class, mm -hmm. might die because he might succumb to, maybe we have a bad winter or maybe yeah. he's 
Um, he has some sort of parasite that he normally, if he was healthier, could survive. It's just there's small things like that to go into. He's probably going to survive anyway, but he'll be at a, at a lower disadvantage. Or uh, he might do well, an injured deer more likely to shed early, right? Yeah. So he might be like that buck I killed on the last day of archery season last year thing, and he was a, a doe. Yeah. And he just, yeah. that could cause his death right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we could jump into all the, the, the injury yeah. stuff and, and hormones and, and the cause of it's, casting. It's a deep dive there. Yeah. No, but so this year, talking about taking does early, my game plan, and I told you already that my bucks have kind of transitioned. My game plan the whole time was to go out there opening morning, set up somewhere where I feel like deer travel through somewhere fairly close to the trucks. It's going to be hot and just shoot it out. Because mm -hmm. I got a brand new bow this year, haven't pulled it back on anything besides the target yet. And I just don't want the first time I pull that bow back to be on the buck that I'm fully invested in, you know? So I wanted to get out there and shoot a doe mm. early. And if I, you know, didn't want to kill myself doing it, if it's going to be 85 degrees, 90 degrees, I was hoping I could kill her 100 yards from the truck and yeah. walk a cooler over there <laughs> and do it the easy way. But um, now that my deer are transitioning into the morning, I, I'm going to be watching that wind. And if I have the opportunity to sneak in there, I might do it. And the cell camera, right now I have it set to send me pictures every three hours. But I'm going to switch it right before season starts to immediate. So that if I am cruising in there in the morning, I might have my phone in my hand. You know, just to, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Oh, yeah, is he there? <laughs> just to give myself an idea. Am I safe or not? But, man, it just makes me so nervous hunting in the mornings early season. I'm just when they're patterned October and November I don't worry about it as much because I feel like deer are a little bit more you know um, I, it's not ambitious like they're just a little bit more careless mm -hmm. but during that early part of September I feel like they're still pretty well on point you know they're still pretty in in cue with everything that's going on and you can booger them up that probably has something to do with the hormone levels too mm -hmm. they're smarter and then that testosterone kicks in and they start getting dumb definitely it's like a young kid and you think about your teenage years the yeah. risks your, your cost versus reward um, stuff, and you're just more likely to take risks. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, well, some people would call that dumb. Yeah. Young and dumb, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what it's for. So you just pulled out some, some stats there. What do you got? Yeah, so I, you, you mentioned uh, just your, your, your strategy there about that taking dough early. And I'll, I'll play that by, by ear, but ideal situation is that opening morning of season, I can go somewhere where I can shoot a doe. That's ex my exact sentiment on that. That's how I hunt. I'm like, I, I'm going to shoot a doe until... Um, a, a buck comes by that I want to shoot. And I will preface that by saying I'm not going to shoot a doe where I plan on shooting a buck. What? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, it's not like I'm talking about the same stand for everything here. I'm talking about going somewhere specifically to shoot a doe and leaving that spot alone where my buck's at until it's time to go in there. And do, do you that. have um, stands or do you use climber? Do you already have uh, your stands put up? I've got stands on. And I was going to say that's the advantage of having a climber. You can play the wind a little more so than... Oh, I have the spot where my buck's coming in. I have a stand set up in the the spot that makes the most sense to get in, and I don't have to cross the area. Like, I'm not walking where the deer are walking. I'm getting in, setting up without ever being in that area where I expect my shot to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm set up to be able to hunt any north wind or any wind out of the east. So that actually eliminates the most common wind, which is going to be yeah. something from the west. But yeah. that's just how I have to set up. But if I do feel like I have to hunt a west wind, I have trees on the opposite side of that, you know, the area I expect the deer to be that are ideal for climbers. And they're they're just perfect for climbers. So I, I have the option to take a climber in and hunt a west wind, but I also worry that just walking through that area, going 100 yards further in than I would have to otherwise, could be all it takes to, to bump them out. And I have not, I've been in there, I go, you know, probably, I hung a stand a week ago, 
and those deer were there that evening. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm boogering them up too bad. And they're betting on another property, and I have no control over what that property owner's doing. So, you know, I only have so much control. Yeah, I mean, I like hunting in September for those reasons you said earlier, and, and I definitely like to shoot the does first because just to get that under my belt, and we're not the only ones to think that. I mean, I just want to read you some stats here. I mean, for the past six years, um, our September doe to buck percentage harvest, uh, I mean, for the vast majority, uh, folks, it's 56%. 56%? Doe. 56% doe. In September. I well, mean, you know, September is a little bit of a different month, too, because you kind of get this this trend in how serious the hunters are as the year it you know goes on that kind of changes mm -hmm. and there's no knock on you know people who strictly gun hunt or anything but perhaps the people who are willing to go sit in 85 degree heat with a bow in their hand are going to be those hunters who are serious enough to be serious about taking a doe yeah you know what i mean because like you i mean I, I really do think that the more serious of a deer hunter you are the more likely you are to take doe or multiple mm -hmm. does you know, it's that person that's just going out looking for that that buck. I mean, if that's what they want to do, all the power to them. But, you know, that's also, I don't want to knock it, but that's a little bit of, a, 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 I don't want to say beginner or novice. It's just kind of a little bit more it's of a... It's a preference, man. It's, it's, it. it's a preference, but I really do think that most of the serious serious deer hunters, the diehard people I know who are just eating up with it, they, like, they shoot their does. Yeah, I mean, I eat multiple deer a year. So, I mean, I like to fill my freezer, and, and I know that... Um, that early doe gets the uh, gets that deer in my freezer, and we'll have it uh, eaten before November comes, and yeah. and then I can fill my freezer f with a few more deer. So, yeah. um, I mean, September in general, though, I mean, just looking at some of some other things I got here. I mean, I mean, if you want to talk about uh, the history, I mean, the past couple of years, the past year, COVID was um, significant. I mean, so is that that bottom graph you're looking at there? Uh, well, no, it's uh, the, these top two graphs here. So, if you look at uh, oh, wow. for September as a whole. Well, last year is the best harvest we've ever had on record, and that's including the 2015 where we had 155,000 deer harvested. So, so I'm going to roughly just I'm just going to give a rough number here. So 2016, so we'll start five years ago, 5,000 in the month so, of September. Yeah, this is the month of September only. So 2016, 5,000, then 6,000, then 5,500, then 4,500, and then 8,000. Yeah, and that's 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 ballparking, you know, give or take 100 mm -hmm. deer. But I mean, that's uh. 8,000, that's almost double what we saw in 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge difference in the best we've ever seen. Um, and then those opening three weekends was the same, the same, the same kind of, the uh, same scenario here where you had the most, the biggest harvest in those opening three days. So uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I mean, uh, ever. And it, that carried through the entire season almost. I mean, uh, September was great. October was pretty good. Um, if you want to talk about archery and crossbow, I mean, and that, that, that stat I threw out earlier about uh, that was 56% uh, of our harvest in September is doe. And that carries across through our, uh, crossbow and vertical bow. Yeah, and obviously I can see the, the graphs here. It look, crossbow was significantly higher mm -hmm. last year also. And crossbow, the you know, there's more opportunity provided for crossbow hunters now. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when that change took place. Uh, 2018. So right now. I'm oh, sorry, 2000, 2019. So this will be the third year. 2019, we, we put it in place in 2018, but it was 2019 and 2020 was the first two years. So the way it reads right now is that starting September 4th, which is the opening day of archery season this year, youth or people over 65s can use crossbows, yep. correct? That, same, yep. it's con that is concurrent. 65 and older and youth can, is concurrent with vertical, but with archery season. Mm -hmm. Everybody else, you got uh, two, weeks. Two, two weeks later. Two weeks later, so that'd be September the 18th, just off right. the top of my head. 
September 18th, yeah, is when cross. So there's more opportunity for crossbow, um, and that could be a reason for the increased harvest too, which is ultimately a good thing. And I remember when the crossbow reg got changed, a lot, there was like some controversy. A lot of people yeah. didn't like it, but you know, and, and I was one of those people because I've always been a bow hunter, and I kind of like having the woods to myself, mm -hmm. you know, as a bow hunter. And then somebody said it to me: uh, ninety-seven percent of our land here in the state is private land. So you're not going to see them. So the thing is, everybody, it's basically like giving an option to people, you know, and, and you don't have to allow crossbow hunting on your private property if you don't want to. You don't have to hunt with a crossbow on your private property if you don't want to, but now you have the option. It's like an additional freedom. And why people, including myself, had a problem with it or were opposed to it, you know, it kind of I kind of just look back at that and say, man, I just didn't understand it. You know, it's... What's cool about that whole concept about crossbow is is, is I think that it, it could potentially help. It will help. It has is helping. Um, folks that are older age class, uh, older age hunters, older age class hunters, like our boomers that are starting to phase out. This gives them an opportunity to hunt earlier when it's warmer. Mm -hmm. Not saying they're too soft, but everybody knows the older you get, the less like you like well, the cold. Well, you just have a harder time retaining body heat. It's yeah. a natural thing. Yeah, and, and this gives them opportunity to get out and hunt earlier. And I think that might be why, I don't have any of this in front of you or in front of me here, but um, that is partially why our rifle harvest was down lower. Um, overall, I mean, we had, I, I feel like some of our gun hunters that were, were typically killing deer in November were killing deer earlier in the year, yeah. but they don't harvest again. But um, that's not the only reason why we lost, we, we lost, we were down about 10,000, 12,000 animals in rifle. I think that was solely, mostly 99% of weather. Well, related. they say that, you know, and you know this, that <clears throat> weather is the number one factor in participation. Mm -hmm. and weather on the, in the first weekend of modern firearm season or of any season is going to be the heaviest hit yep. weekend. That's when everybody's look, got it marked on their calendar. They've had it marked for two months, you know. They're all looking forward to that first weekend. So really, the weather on that one given weekend. And we had bad weather that first Sunday and the second Sunday of rifle, and because we're such a heavy rifle, dominated state, 70% of our uh, uh, hunters are rifle hunters, or harvesters rifle, um, we, we can't make it up. Yeah. Just there's no making it up. But I will say that one cool aspect of the crossbow archery stuff is that if you look at our cross, our, our archery hunt hunters, um, we, I mean, a lot of the the sentiment was that well, people are going to drop their vertical bow and go through a crossbow, and that's not happened. Yeah. Um, crossbow has increased, but vertical bow has remained about in terms of harvest remained about the same at about. Um, 18,000 animals. And it was still a little higher last year than it was in the in the past. I mean, mm -hmm. looking at this, this looks to be a little more than this, mm -hmm. just looking at the just graphs. Bit, yeah. So that's, uh, no, that, that makes sense. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I can't wait for opening season, opening day to get here. I'm not really excited about it myself. Is it eight? I'm going to say it's seven days away. What's today? Today's the 27th. Today's the day before. Four, eight days. Eight days. Well, this day's about over with, so about seven days. Yeah, seven days. I'm going to call it seven just to get myself through a little bit easier. But. <laughs> No, I've, so you got any uh, tips or advice for people? Like right now, if I was telling people, I would say I would say be shooting, be shooting, be shooting. Absolutely. And the best type of shooting you can do is going to be 3D. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I shoot my bow all year long, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think that is extremely important. And it's, I mean, it's still fine to go out and shoot, but you definitely want to be out shooting a few months beforehand to get your that 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 whole rhythm. Uh, in sync, and and we all want to be ethical. We want to be able to shoot a deer good and and and, and get it on the ground pretty quickly. But um, I'd say scouting. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of late now. 
it's kind of late now, but uh, you can go sorry. glass. Yeah, you're fine. You can glass. I mean, it's kind of late now to scout, but you can still get time out there to do it. I mean, we've got plenty of opportunity for public land. Mm -hmm. um, I like to hunt public land. You can go into it blind, not knowing what's out there, which is usually what I do. Mm -hmm. And if you can get out there and read the sign a little bit, um, you can put yourself in a good situation because those deer. Um, if you know anything about me, if you got if they're out feeding at night and you get in there early, you can get into the timber before they're into the timber, before they come back into the timber, and be there before they get there. If you're hunting, if you're hunting the fields, it makes it a little tougher. Then that way you might have to hunt the evenings a little bit. But if you can get into the timber while they're out and about foraging during the day or in the night in the bean fields or whatever uh, food plots that are out there, get back before they get to their in between. Uh, if you can get between them and their bedding area, you'll be you'll be good. Um, but if somebody wanted to go shoot 3D and they don't have a target, there are opportunities. Like Cove Springs Park here in Frankfort mm -hmm. has a great 3D range. Otter Creek Outdoor Recreation mm -hmm. Area and Meade County has a great one. They're, they're scattered all over the state. Mm -hmm. uh, sportsman clubs have uh, 3D ranges. I think there's one in uh, uh, Mackville. The, I mean, they're scattered. Yeah, they're all over the place. They're, they're definitely worthy of, they'll make you a better shot. Oh, yeah, because I, I really think there's something to shooting at, you know, I don't... You're, you have to pick a spot more precisely when you're shooting 3D. You have to figure out where the kill zone is on that deer. There's, a, there's another step in the decision-making process of firing the shot mm -hmm. when you're shooting at a 3D target versus when you're shooting at a, a white dot on a black back. You know what I mean? And that extra step in the decision-making process of where to shoot mm -hmm. is also what you have to do in the field. So I think it just better prepares you. Yeah. And, you know, I would say uh, practice shooting from elevation. And Absolutely. also thinking about... You know, a few years ago, 2016, I shot a buck close range from my stand. He was 12 yards, and I thought I smoked him, you know. And then I uh, went, the, your angle changes. And as the angle changes when you're looking down on something, the kill zone, you know, it, it becomes a little bit confusing. I shot over the vitals in that deer. And after I killed him a month later and found him, I could clearly see where I shot over the vitals. So I hear people tell me all the time, aim for your exit. You know, and I think that's a, a good strategy to take. Just think about it. Like, just walk through the process of shooting a deer at 12 yards in your mind and imagine where you actually need to aim because it's going to be a lot lower than you think because you're seeing the top of that deer's back from that angle. You know, and if you're shooting at center mass where you include the top of the back, guess what? You're shooting high. So just shooting 3D, especially if you can shoot from a back porch or a deck or climb on the roof of your barn or something like that, do it safely. Yeah, that's that's pretty important. I think, too, um, for me, and, and, and some people may not uh, have to, for me, I have to break my concentration um, because I get into the moment and I always try to tell myself, all right, when I pull back, I'm like, get my elbow up. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I think that, I get my elbow up, it breaks my concentration and I can focus on the deer and not be entirely in the moment yeah. to, now I can I can think I can focus on that exit that you're talking about and make a good shot and, and I think that's important for me it might help others to do that too but working through the problems in your shots important like the problem I had this year I got a new bow and my, I, I, I switched my sights out I don't know something was different but when I started shooting that bow my general routine is I pull back and I start above the target mm -hmm. and I work my way down onto the target and I was wanting to snap shoot so whenever I saw my pen hit, okay, that's a good shot. I was sending it, you know, but I had to talk, walk myself out of that, put my finger off, off the trigger, and I had to see the good shot. And I made myself look at it and say, okay, yeah, that's exactly what I want. And then put my finger on the mm -hmm. trigger. And I'm sure I probably won't go through that process when I'm shooting a deer, but I'm hoping I can drill it in and get it ingrained to where I'm able to recognize sight, picture, sight alignment, and everything I want to see 
and consciously decide to take the shot at that point instead of it being like a, a subconscious pull of the trigger you know, when my brain just happens to see it on its own. Right. I'm not sure if I explained that very well. That's pretty good. It's no, tough you to know explain what I mean. It. It's yes. like, as soon as I saw what I wanted to see, I was letting the arrow go instead of really digesting what I was saying and yeah. making a decision to let the arrow I go. I think that's that process. That for me, I, I say to myself, get my elbow up. Yeah. And once I do that, it kind of breaks my concentration to not just rely on instinct. <laughs> yeah. And I think... Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Shooting the bow is the number one thing that you can do to get yourself prepared. I would really, you know, I'm not sure. I wish I had stats of what the age breakdown was of our, or maybe not age, but maybe experience hunting breakdown was of podcast listeners. Because you, it's it's kind of funny. The longer you hunt, I think, the less likely you are to shoot a far shot. You know what I mean? I almost feel like it's a live and learn and make that mistake type deal for a lot of people where they get out there and they're shooting their bow before season. Oh, I'm good at 50. I'm good at 50. You know, and then they get that deer out there at 50 and they take a shot and realize that, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you might have been good at 50, but that deer might have made a decision in between yeah. that bow going off. And, and just, I would really um, encourage people to stick to 30 and in, you know, Absolutely. shoot 50, shoot 60 if you want. But when you're shooting at an actual deer, you know, a lot can happen. They're fast. And they can jump that string. And I would just really encourage people that to think of anything past 30 or 35, potentially 40 yards as being a no-go. Or, you know, you just got to have that ideal situation. If that deer's looking at you, I wouldn't shoot 40 because it's... 40 yards is my limit, without a doubt. I mean, I, and that's the max limit. I prefer 20 to 30. Yeah. Uh, most of my deer, I'd say probably five out of seven of my last year have been within 25 yards, mm -hmm. you know. And if you set up right, I mean, that's pretty doable. But, you know, I'm going to be prepared to shoot further. But basically just don't don't go in there too confident in your shooting ability, not realizing the deer have a mind too and that they are going to make decisions and do One things. thing that I like to do when I'm practicing before deer season is, so you, any target you use, I mean, you've got the big center dot and you've got the little dots around. Mm -hmm. I never really focus on the big one because yeah. I feel like that's, for me, I, I focus on something small. You aim small and you miss small. Yeah. The and, reason I do that and I'm probably giving myself way too much credit, is because when you shoot the little dots around the corner, you can shoot one arrow at each one, mm -hmm. and that way you don't bust your own arrows up. I don't really have a problem with busting my own arrows up that much anyway, um, but, you know, it also will save you arrows in the long run yeah. if you shoot at those smaller dots, and I don't know. I'm thinking through my, my head right now, just what could be a good exercise? Football starts this week. Mm -hmm. Maybe you, you know, everybody watches TV on their phone. Maybe you take your phone out there in the backyard with you while you're shooting, and you you pull your bow back and you watch a play and then you take the shot yeah, or so yeah. i don't know i'm just thinking yeah. <laughs> what could be a what could be a fun little shooting game with yeah. sports coming up but no I'm, I'm looking forward to deer season i'm looking forward to elk season you've almost got me talked into doing something here that uh i'm not going to talk about yet because i'm not committed to it but man there's an exciting proposition and i'm really really thinking about it and uh i'm gonna have to get back to you on that one yeah. might, be, might be something to talk about at a later date but deer season is the number one thing on my mind right now if I was going to be able to dove hunt opening day, I would probably be just as excited about it. Um, but right now, I'm kind of like forcing it to the back of my mind so I don't feel that disappointment of I can't go. I'm looking forward to get out on the on the opener. I have never missed the opener until last year. Last year. And it was the first time I missed the opener, and, uh, and and I felt weird. So I'm gonna get back out there. It's going to be decent weather. It's gonna be nice and decently cool. I think it's gonna you be know, in the 60 I, degrees. Especially after this summer, I have very little faith in the in the weatherman these days. Oh gosh, yes, I feel right. like that's the easiest job in the world. Like they, they can pretty much just say whatever, and yeah. no, they aren't gonna get farther. <laughs> there needs to be like a 
a ranking system, like an independent fact checker ranking system of weathermen and their forecast, where you can get on there and you can look up stats and see who actually is the most accurate because they aren't held accountable at all. No, definitely not. Let's look at the weather real quick. So I'm showing for next Saturday, the 4th, high of 87, and this is probably completely wrong and going to change. South, southwest, I hate that. Um, Seven mile an hour, 24 chance of rain, partly cloudy. What's the low on Saturday morning? 66. 66. So it's a little warmer than I expected. To be. Pretty warm. Sunday, it looks like things change. Um, Sunday, 62. Wind southwest again. Man, I really thought I had an east wind somewhere in here. Oh, no. Well, that's not good for me. <laughs> like I said, they're probably wrong. So yeah, I'm just yeah. going to keep my hope things, high. Yeah, we're far enough. Eight, eight days is, 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 I think they do good at getting it close on a day or two out. I'll start looking and really paying attention when we're probably three days out. But things things will change. I'm looking forward to it, man. I can't wait to get out there. And is what hit on the high points real quick one more time. What should people be thinking about? Sep September fourth, opening day of archery, um, and crossbow. If you're under the age of twelve, is it? Um, I is think it, it is. It's youth. It's youth. Whatever is it? Look at the regs. See, I always get confused because yeah. youth is defined different for fishing and for hunting. Yeah, I think uh, it's. Um, you know, I'm, I should know this. I'm gonna look it up. 65 and over. And youth can use a crossbow starting September 4th. Regular crossbow season comes in. I think it's 15 or older. You know, Kyle, we got to get this right, so I'm going to look it up. I'm almost, I feel like it's, for, for fishing, it's 12, maybe? See, even on our thing right here, it says youth slash senior crossbow. Um, it w so it would be the same youth as who can hunt youth season with, mm -hmm. with a rifle, right? So who can hunt youth season? The reason I remember that is because I, I killed my first deer when I was 14, I think. I'm looking. I want to make sure I get And I turned right. 15 that October, and I had to buy maybe maybe it is 12. Youth age 12 to it 15. Because I was 12 to 15. Yeah, I should know that, but I'm you know those days for me, and my it son's says, only two, so he's got a while. It says, for deer, Kentucky residents age 12 to 15 is a youth hunting license, youth deer permit. Okay, so 15. Uh, and then 16 to 64, annual hunting license, statewide deer permit. And then people under the age of 12 actually don't even fall into that yeah. specific youth category. They're license exempt. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, that is something I should say. One of the most common questions we get, points of confusion. I actually had one of my buddies who's been deer hunting for 30 years, and he has kids that are 6 and 8 years old. Ask me this this year. How do I tell a jack my kids deer because they don't have a license mm -hmm. you know and so there's some confusion people don't realize that you still call that deer in yep you still tell check that deer and you use the social, social. Mm -hmm. and luckily our system is smart enough to know that that person is under the age of and it won't give you the information on them so yeah. you won't see, it'll just say youth it doesn't tell you the name i don't think yeah so you still call it in you still get a confirmation number for it mm -hmm. you use their social jot your confirmation down on a piece of paper or something like that and uh, keep that with you, but you don't have to have a license for those individuals. Speaking of telecheck, something I think is worth mentioning is uh, uh, is our online check. Um, you can go to your profile and check in a deer. Um, I think it's faster uh, to do it that way. You can do it on your phone right then and there if you have service versus calling it in. And it's super simple to do. You think it's faster? <laughs> yes. I, I don't I haven't used online or a phone check in See, that's all I've used years. is phone. Five years. All I've used is phone. My typical process is shoot the deer, make sure it's dead, and then I'll write down county, gender, date, all that stuff. And then I usually go ahead and process that deer, not process it, but get it loaded up, get it, you know, something like that. 
And then while I'm driving down the driveway, before I hit the, the main road, I'm on the phone calling it in. You know, I got a speaker. And that, that is a legal process, right? Yeah. You yeah. have to fill out your tag before mm -hmm. you move but the animal. Yeah, you fill the log out. Before you move it. Mm -hmm. And then you have until, it's either midnight or Midnight, the, the day that you, that, you, that you recover it. Yeah, that you recover it. And that's important because <laughs> sometimes you'll see people telecheck a deer in on, you know, the day after season or the day after modern firearm season they tell a check in a deer with a gun that's just one they didn't find until the next day yeah um man why so i haven't logged on to my profile in a while it's asking me some different questions oh you're probably doing uh i wasn't selected for an elk quota hunt by the way yeah um so yeah. right record a harvest report a harvest report new yeah. harvest you would click that and it's it's pretty simple it's faster you can do it right there on your phone I'm, that's how i've always done it in the past five six years so it doesn't you, cost us a thing either. So the uh, when people log on, a lot of people probably still haven't logged on to my profile. Unless they put in for the elk hunt and they're looking for it or, or they have gone through the system before. I guess that's also how you put in for some of the quota hunts. So, mm -hmm. so but when you log on to my profile, it's kind of cool because it will show you right here. It has my orange card. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people I know have lost their orange card. I can just reprint it. You can reprint it. Right you can reprint here. your license. It'll, it's a, it, and every time you go in and buy something new, say, say you buy... Uh, your sportsman's, but if you want to buy uh, an elk permit, or if you get drawn for a for a pheasant hunt, and you want to buy that twenty five dollar pheasant permit, uh, every every time you buy that, you can reprint and it puts all that stuff on your on your license for you. It also shows you your harvest history. It shows you your nice. harvest, history. unless you harvested one on a quota hunt, which is a little bit different. But we're working on getting that in that system. Yeah, but so right here, I can see every deer I killed last <laughs> year, and every deer I killed, and so every deer I've ever killed ever mm -hmm. is listed on here with. Those confirmation numbers, heck, you might lose your, your license after you know two weeks after you killed mm -hmm. your deer, your tax numbers. Get wet, it fade, whatever. I mean, it's just paper. It's not the, the Tyvek anymore. There you go. First deer I tagged right there, 2003. And it's and it's super, I mean, it's, it's easy. You just click report, and you can fill out, ask you a few questions. It's just like that. It's faster. It's, it's drop-down boxes, and you can go a lot faster. Um, it's pretty simple to do. That's cool. All right. Well, I, you got any high points you want to hit on? Remind people of the freezer drop-off locations, anything like that at all? I think uh, we covered most of it. Yeah, uh, just uh, just some good information for uh, hunters. I always like to mention this, the top 10 counties, though, milk-wise, oh, yeah. yeah. uh, for 2020. So, for, And how was this broken down? Because I saw that, and I thought it was an interesting way to break it down. So so every so every county is different square, uh, square Like, miles. obviously, Pike County is much it's different. Much bigger than Robertson County. So yeah. it's made things a lot more equal. You basically, you take the harvest and divide by the, the available habitat that, that deer can utilize. So Jefferson County, it was the same thing. So when you say available habitat, we're not counting the area between uh, 4th Street and and exactly. 34th Street yeah. as being available deer habitat. Right. So that, okay. Well, that, if that's it's a hard top now. Some of, that, some of, that, some of those places in, in, in Jefferson County is great, ha great habitat. Yeah. If it's water, um, if it's, if it's, you know, deep water, I mean, yeah. creeks, anything bigger than that, I mean, you know, wetlands are good. Um, uh, but anything with hard top streets, don't consider it a habitat. So that's taken out of the equation. So, so that's but, good. So, so basically to, to put everything on the same playing field, uh, for, uh, male harvest in 2020, Pendleton County, uh, was number one, um, at 4.0, uh, bucks per square mile. Spencer County is number two at 3.9. Bracken is uh, number three at 3.6. Anderson, number four at 3.6. Crittenden, number five at 3.5. And I can continue on. All those counties are in the bluegrass region right here in, in, around us, except for the, um, uh, Green County and Crittenden County. Mm -hmm. So all those other counties are right here in the bluegrass region. Yeah, they all pretty much border 
um, you know, like one another. Yeah. And when you when you go down the line, they all touch in some way, shape, or form. And right. Pendle County has been moving up. Uh, Owen County has been falling down a little bit. Not exactly sure. We're looking at that, trying to figure out what's going on. It could be several factors, but we're not real sure yet on on that. Um, female uh, per square mile of harvest. Uh, Pendle County is still number one there at 5.3. Bracken is number two at 5.1. Spencer is number three at 4.9. Crittenden, number four at 4.2 deer per square mile. And in Gallatin, comes in at fifth at 4.2 deer per square mile. Okay. And female I think harvest. Was Shelby six on that one too? Um, that Shelby is uh, no, right there, number seven or eight. eight. Yeah. So Pendleton, Spencer, Bracken, Anderson, Crittenden, Robbins, Robertson, Washington, Shelby, Grant, Green, um, Owen, seem to be Gallatin seem to be counties that pop up on this list and mm. so those are some counties where those people are. what do you think that stat does for people they pat themselves on the back and say we did it or do you think that's just a spot where they say we got the most deer I mean honestly that might not that could be a good or a bad thing it could be yeah, it, it's, it's hunter participation it yeah, could be that I mean, there's a, there's a lot there I mean it's it's um it basically speaks to it basically puts all these other counties I mean that are smaller or bigger puts them on the same playing field and levels um, who's doing the best in harvesting deer? Yeah. That's really, I mean, that's, that is literally deer per square mile harvested, uh, the deer harvested per square mile of ha available habitat. So yeah. it's basically, it, it literally says that, yeah, this, there's, there's uh, the deer population is pretty good, but it also means the hunter population is it's, probably yeah, good Yeah, it's a reflection too. of both. It's yeah. a reflection of hunter um, effort um, put in, mm -hmm. or hunter participation, I should mm -hmm. say. And then also deer population. It yep. probably plays into both of those, but it, it's cool to see. And I like some of the stats, like in uh, the mag or the calendar. I got the mm -hmm. Kentucky Field calendar over here. It has the breakdown of the top bucks for the previous year and yeah. every year, and you get to see some of those. And yeah, we. I mean, every county in Kentucky has a Boone and Crockett entry. Now we don't get all of them, but we're always in the top five. Yeah. Um, in terms of Boone and Crockett uh, entries, um, Wisconsin's usually number one, but they're. They, they kind of fall up from out from one to two. We're usually in the top five, and we were one a couple years in a row, three or four years ago. But uh, we don't get to see all of those yeah. Boone and Crockett harvested bucks, but we see a significant portion. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Kyle. I appreciate you coming in today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, call it quits. Um, people, I don't know if anybody's wondering where Lee is. Lee is is out right now. Hopefully, he's back here with us before too long. So um, we'll be seeing him again at some point, I'm sure, here before too awful long. But yeah, Lee just couldn't make it today. I did not know that until this morning, but I went ahead and lined things up with you because I just wanted to get a podcast out, man. A lot of information we need to be sharing. I've kind of been a little bit slower going here lately. I wish I could have done more, but we've just been slant. We've got a lot going on with the TV show, my other job duties, and just people in general running around doing this and that. And it's going to be even busier over the next few weeks. So. Yeah. Hey, I'm cool for a, uh, for a, a raffle podcast if you have something like that yeah well we need to follow up we'll definitely come back around in um, october or november and do something and then of course a season wrap up as well to review and see how everything's uh gone for the year talk about any new developments if something pops up something really important we need to talk about let's, we'll let's do hope, that let's one. hope so, nothing too yeah. important pops up <laughs> uh, let's hope but yeah so so i appreciate you coming by good good info today kyle and Thanks good, for having me. good luck <laughs>